0: To the Dr. Lori Marvis podcast, and today I'm delighted to have Mr. Adam Sud, who is an amazing young man with an incredible story, going from an addiction to with type two diabetes and morbidly obese to now to a amazing young man that I'm sitting in front of me, um, a, a list, basically a holistic wellness coach um, with Whole Foods in Austin, Texas. But thank you for joining me today, Adam.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited.
0: Wonderful. So I know you've been around kind of the plant-based talks and a lot of people have heard your story and all that thing. So if we can just briefly recap, not recap, that would not be good, recap (laughs) your story um, of kind of how it all started. You know, especially I'm really interested in how the addiction to the Adderall started and your food addiction and just kind of your – how what was the setup in your your environment that led to that?
1: Well, um, so – of course, I'm seventh generation Texan, and I grew up, you know, on burgers and, and barbecue. And, and uh, but not only that, uh, I have a, uh, a father who lost his father very young, at, at age 25, um, to colon cancer. And um, this is this is just my belief, but I believe that as a result of that happening to him, that trauma that it sort of closed him off emotionally and he becomes hypercritical of people that he's very close to people that he loves very much uh, when they are exhibiting lifestyle behaviors that threaten their life. And uh, because it's easier to be hypercritical than it is to embrace and say, uh, I'm, I love you and that what I see is scaring me so that by being critical, that's really his, that was his way of showing his love for me. But when you're young, I didn't understand that. So at a young age, I was criticized for, you know, wanting the junk food that all, you know, the kids had. And, and it it sort of, it, it created this, I remember being very young, exhibiting closet eating behavior. And, uh, you know, my mom would make cinnamon rolls for breakfast and we were allowed one each. Um, and then when they would leave, I would grab two and I'd put them in my pocket and I'd run to my room and I'd eat them in my room with the door closed.
0: How old were you at that time?
1: you know, 10, maybe, maybe, maybe 12. Uh, but that was something that I did a lot. I I felt ashamed to have wanted more. And, uh, the same time I was also diagnosed with ADHD and, uh, I was diagnosed by, um, a specialist in Houston and, you know, I'm an eighties kid and Ritalin was the new fix all for ADHD and I got put on it. And, one of the things I think that, it, in in a way that it profoundly affected me was, um, when you are telling a child that they are going on medicine for ADHD, what you're also telling them is that you don't fit into the world, but this pill is going to fix it, and it's going to fix you. It's going to fix the problem that the world sees in you. And to me, I think that it affected me in a way to where from that point on. When I received from the environment, from friends, from people, you know, a a signal that there was something wrong with me, I looked outwardly to fix it. Um, And so when I moved, when we moved to Austin and I started high school, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends. Um, I wasn't really overweight, but I was, you know, I was a little chubby Um, and my medication got switched to Adderall. Uh, which was at the time, this would have been mid nineties, the new super drug for ADHD. And I remember as a freshman, uh, getting a call from uh, one of my few friends saying, you know, there's a party this weekend, you got to come out. And I said, I can't, I got too much work. And they told me that if I was to just take more of my Adderall on Sunday night, that I could stay up all night long and get all my work done. And I said, well, if, if it's going to keep me up all night, I might as well take it for the party. And I tell you, the minute I took it, I was hooked because I'm also not a type A personality. Um, or I certainly wasn't then. And my father is a you know, highly successful person. He's very much a type A personality. He's a marathoner. And you know, when you're a high school kid, especially a high school boy, your father is your example of what it means to be a, a successful man, and I thought to be accepted by him, I needed to be fit and a type A personality, and Adderall absolutely made me have type A personality qualities, and I thought, that's great, but it also did an an- another amazing thing for me, which was it completely curbs your appetite. It gives you endless energy. You stay up all night. You don't want to eat because let's be clear. Adderall is amphetamine. That's what it is. In fact, it's medically pure amphetamine. So it's actually a a much purer source of amphetamine than you would get with street meth, which is cut with so many horrible things. And I became very, very attached to this substance because I thought I'd found the answer to all of my problems and it spun out of control. Um, very quickly to where I was taking a lot more than I was supposed to. Um, but I, it was working for me. I was able to, you know, stay lean, get all my work done, get a top scholarship to an art school for my computer artwork. But in college, my drug became more important to me than anything else. And I started doctor shopping, uh, which is where you have multiple doctors prescribing the same medication without them knowing about each other. It's completely a felony. Um, And I got offered a position on a big movie my sophomore year of college, and I said, I'm just going to drop out, go home, start working on this film, and that will be what I'm going to do. But the real reason behind it was I could leave school. I could go back to Austin because the film was being shot in Austin, and I could be making money and have all my dealers because they were all in Austin. Really what I had found was a way to be away from school and home where I knew I could get all the drugs I wanted.
0: How did you doctor shop as a as a teenager? Did your parents not know about this?
1: Yeah, so um, I found uh, I had a, a family doctor who, uh, who if I was in trouble with my doctor at school uh, and said, "Oh, I lost my prescription," or "Oh, my bag was stolen," or whatever, he would you know send me another script, and he hated doing it uh, because he could tell, but he was he's a, a close. Family friend, and I feel so bad for you know probably the horrible uh, situation I put him in. Um, But eventually, he said no more of that and completely cut me off to to his help. Um, But luckily, at that point, I come back to Austin, where now I was over eighteen. I could get as many doctors as I wanted. Uh, I could start forging prescriptions, um, and unfortunately, when you've been addicted to an amphetamine for that long, when you've been addicted to a stimulant for that long, it just destroys your metabolism. It destroys your adrenal system, uh, to where now it didn't matter how much I took. I still ate, ate an, an insane diet of fast food to where my new addiction for fast food started. Um, because I started to become very depressed and fast food was an instant fix for me. And to, to sum it up, But At my worst, my my diet was this. I would wake up, go to Torchy's Tacos, which is a breakfast taco place here. I would get five to six potato egg and cheese or jalapeno sausage egg and cheese uh, breakfast tacos with a large soda. Come home for my first lunch. I would go to McDonald's, get the supersized double quarter pounder meal with an extra double quarter pounder. For my second lunch, I would go to Whataburger and get the honey barbecue chicken strip sandwich with a large fries and large soda. For dinner, I would order a large Papa John's pizza for myself with a two-liter soda. Um, And then at around three in the morning, I would go back to Whataburger for the breakfast-on-a-bun sausage sandwiches, like three or four of them. And over the course of 24 hours, I would probably drink 12 sodas a day. And on top of that, uh, by this point, I was taking four hundred and fifty milligrams of Adderall over a twenty four hour period. Um,
0: That's astounding as a physician that I can't even tell yeah. you that is astronomical.
1: yeah, you know the, the average prescription dose is like twenty to forty milligrams a day. so um my diet was terrible. I lived in in an apartment that looked like something out of the that show hoarders. Uh, I didn't leave my apartment. You know, I, by this point, I had reached 320 pounds. I lost my job. I smelled all the time. I had no, you know, personal hygiene. Um,
0: Where were your parents? My, what were they thinking at this time?
1: They were. My relationship with my parents got very, very strained. Um, they couldn't stand to be around me, and when they were around me, they couldn't help but, you know, notice the, the problems. and want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about any of it. Uh, I was treating my parents like an ATM. They were supporting me at the time. And, you know, uh, I remember uh, sitting up in my apartment late at night thinking to myself, you know, here I am, this fat, smelly drug addict. Um, you know, I'm never going to make anything for myself, but, uh, you know, at least when my parents die, I'll get their money. That's that's how I thought of, at the time. That's That's the type of disease I was dealing with and, and mental state that I was dealing with. And, and, you know, my dad, uh, who never would let an opportunity go by if, if it was an opportunity to save his son's life. This was about 2009, 2010, that whole foods market was going to do their very first engine two immersion. And he comes to me and he says, Adam, I want you to do this. I want you to go. I can get you, you know, I wasn't working for whole foods market, but he said, He's been involved with Whole Foods since the very beginning. He goes, if you want to go, I'll get you in. And to be honest, I went so that he would continue giving me money. That's why I went. And uh, I remember meeting Rip Esselstyn and him having this look like he had never seen more of a lost cause in his life. Um, and uh, I went and I went as a drug addict and I used as a drug addict at the immersion. Um, but I listened to everything that was being said, and I went to every lecture, and I and, and I accepted the information. And you know, as as at the time, I was a, a self proclaimed animal lover who ate meat. Um, you know, it really struck a core one of my core values, which is protection of animals and the environment. And uh, there was a speaker there that night named Dick Beardsley, who talked about his struggle with uh, addiction to painkillers after. He was a, a a record-holding marathoner who, after his career, suffered these a slew of horrible accidents and got addicted to painkillers, and he talked about it that night. He was very inspiring, and I wanted so badly to go up to him and admit to him for the first time to anybody that I was a drug addict, uh, and I just—I couldn't give it up, and uh, unfortunately, I suffered for three more years until one night, you know— I don't know if this was a suicide attempt. I don't believe I was actually trying to kill myself, but I ended up taking a, uh, I mean, obviously I was already taking a huge amount of drugs. Uh, The amount of Adderall I was taking was, you know, 450 milligrams a day. But on top of that, I took a bunch of painkillers and some other stuff and I overdosed in my apartment. So there I am lying on the floor, unconscious, literally surrounded by my drugs, surrounded by fast food garbage surrounded by empty Co. bottles, um, in a smelly hoarder like apartment where the windows were blocked out, were blacked out from with, you know, poster board because I didn't want people seeing into my apartment. And, um, uh, you know, I had this realization when I, when I regained consciousness, um, one, I remember the moments before passing out, never being so scared in my life. And I had this realization that as a drug addict, I know that there is nothing that anyone could have ever said to me to uh, to make me want um, to to want to change unless I wanted it, and I know that there's nothing my family could have said, but I also know that they would never understand that, and um, that they would they would live the rest of their life uh, believing that there was something they could have said. And um, so I called my dad, and I said. I didn't tell him that I overdosed, but I told him I need help. And then here's a person that I treated so poorly. And you know, my mom, I don't know how many nights she just wondered, is my son going to be alive tomorrow? Um, and they said, don't worry about it. My mom, that your mom and I will take care of it. And two weeks later, I checked into rehab and in the first 24 hours of rehab, they're really, um, dehumanizing, um, you know, they 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 search you, they search your bags, they do medical tests, you know, they have to do like a full body thing, you know, where you stand there naked in front of the doctors and they look at you over and it's, you know, already I'm 320 pounds and I don't feel good about myself and I certainly didn't want to do that. I'm already ashamed to be walking into rehab, but there's a real purpose for it. One, no one goes to rehab sober. I didn't and they wanted to make sure I wasn't bringing any drugs in, um, They're also looking to see if you're dealing with any diagnoses that you're unaware of. And in my case, that was certainly uh, what was going on. I found out that I was a type 2 diabetic. My blood sugar was almost 400. Um, I had high cholesterol, and my blood pressure was so high that for the first week of rehab, before I could leave my dorm, I had to have my blood pressure and heart rate monitored before I could leave. They were like, they wanted to see if my heart rate could get under 110 in the first thing in the morning. Um, and so I remember getting this, this diagnosis from the doctor and, and having the first time where I had to really accept that I was the problem here because of what I learned at the engine Two immersion, all of this stuff, which I could not deny because there were numbers on a page saying, here it is. You can't argue with this. I can argue that the addiction, I could argue the depression because where's the numbers where's, where's my, where's my addiction number? Uh, you know, I could just say I'm a big guy from Texas or so I can take 450 milligrams or, you know, you know, I, I, it's everyone else and everything and, and everything else's fault that I'm angry at the world. It's not about me. It's about everyone else, which is what I was doing. But I knew 100% that type two diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, these are not genetic things. These are, are a result of the environment that I created for myself to live in. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking very clearly, what did I learn from the engine to immersion? I learned that if I'm the problem, I get to be the solution. And I made it my mission in recovery to reverse all of those, those chronic diseases. And as a result of that, I have to stay sober um, because one of my addictions was fast food and I knew that if I went back to the drugs or the fast food, that they would lead me back to the other. Um, and in rehab, you don't get a lot of control over what you eat, unfortunately. Uh, it, so I did the best that I could, but there were days where I couldn't, you know, they cooked with oil and things like that. So there's not a lot that I could be being control of. but I got sent to sober living where I was going to live for the next 10 months and sober living in, in Santa Monica. And I thought, All right, this is where it's going to happen for me because they advertise all this healthy cooking and healthy food. And I walked into this place, and it literally looked like a teenager from the 90s who had been watching nothing but Nickelodeon commercials had stocked the kitchen. It was Eggo waffles, soda, Fruity Pebbles, all the sugary cereals, microwavable pizzas, burgers, cheese, so much dairy. And so uh, literally
0: being thrown back into yeah, the addiction that you're trying to avoid
1: exactly. And I walked. I remember remember having this very vivid uh, um, or this very surreal moment where I said nobody can walk can leave this place. They may leave a month down the road, you know, six months down the road, however long they stay, they may leave sober. But no one can leave healthier. It is impossible to become healthier in this environment. And, um, I went up to the house manager and I said, you know, we have a problem here. Um, I'm, I'm a type two diabetic, I have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and I'm trying to do this plant-based thing, uh, to reverse all these things. And you're, I signed a contract with you that requires you to provide food for me. So what are we going to do? And the house manager said that unfortunately this place gives control of the shopping list to the residents, which is why the food is the way it is. But tell me what you want, and I'll get it for you. And I said, look, man, I don't know. I've never done this before. I'm a fast food addict from Texas. I don't really like plant food, but I do like these things. I like oatmeal. I like black beans. I like broccoli, and I like fruit. Can you get me that? And he said yes. And so I ate that for every meal for every day for 10 months.
0: This and reminds it, me a little bit of the the guy that did the potato for a year. You yeah. literally just cleaned everything but what you could eat. This I, I'm
1: such a fan of his because now I'm such a potato addict. But um, it was crazy because – now, look, I, I hated eating this way when I first started. I hated it. And I was in a house with like 12 other guys in their 20s. It was a frat house. Uh, it was a sober frat house. Um it was also football season, and every weekend the house would order six to ten delivery pizzas uh, that would be stacked up on the, the counter with sodas and chips and everything for the football games, and they'd be eating it. And I'd be sitting there with my bowl of broccoli and black beans and fruit, and I'd be crying because I didn't want to be so unhappy, and I didn't want to have to be eating this food. And I would look at these people – they were young and they were fit and they were attractive and they got to eat whatever they wanted. And I would think to myself, how lucky are they that they don't have to do what I'm doing right now? But if if I would just change the perspective a a little bit, I can also say to myself, how lucky am I that my body shows me exactly what I'm doing to it? And that unfortunately for a lot of these guys, they're going to go a long time without ever knowing the damage that they're doing. And some of them may go their whole life. And never know what they're doing to their bodies until it's too late. Um, And the fact is that if I can't eat another cheeseburger ever again, then that's my reality. Because I don't want to die. And the foods that I was eating was killing me as quickly as the drugs.
0: I'm curious, what were you telling yourself that kept you going when you were seeing all these foods in front of you, I mean, what were you saying? What was the mental dialogue going? I, was, I can't do this.
1: Well, it's actually, uh, I read Doug Lyle's The Pleasure Trap. Um, and it was reading The Pleasure Trap that I understood exactly what I needed to do every single day because I realized from that, that the reason why I was frustrated was not anything is had nothing to do with a moral shortcoming. It had nothing to do with any kind of moral weakness or lack of moral fiber or lack of willpower. It was a biological problem that had that had occurred in me as a result of the environment that I chose to live in. And then if I wanted to become healthy, I had to do one thing. I had to be comfortable being uncomfortable on a daily basis. If I can do that, then there will be a day that comes down the road when I wake up and eating this way won't be a chore. And then one day I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna look forward to these foods. And then one day I'm gonna wake up and the idea of going back to my old life will be as uncomfortable as it is for me right now to make this change. It's a biological fact. It has to happen. And it's not because someone's stronger or the, the, the success stories that I had read, like Rich Roll, he wasn't stronger as a person. He was just a human being that stuck with it. And it works. If it can work for him, it can work for me. And that's exactly what I did. I told myself, If I wake up and I feel frustrated and irritated and angry at the world, then I'm doing the right thing and just keep doing it. And
0: I think that really shows that, you know, the people whose mantra is moderation, moderation. I tell people moderation kills. It does. We all have the same physiology. I don't care who you are. We still have the same physiology. And you're exactly right. The biology will change. And it's brilliant.
1: It taught me one amazing thing that when I wake up every morning and I prepare a meal on a plate that is about restoring health and wellness in my life and is making me a happier, healthier person today than the person I was the day before, that that act of preparing a food is is also an act of self-care. It's an act of self-love. And for me, it's also a reaffirmation of my sobriety. It makes my affirmations actions, which is important. Um, It also... Creates an an incredible environment for me to live in as a drug addict because no matter the emotional problems, no matter the psychology that I'm dealing with, if I came home pissed off at the world uh, from group therapy, which I I went to IOP program, so I was attending therapy five hours a day, five days a week, and then seeing my private therapist. This was so group therapy. And look, they wanted me to accept that I was this young, arrogant, entitled, angry, spoiled kid and I didn't want to accept it, so I would, you know, in, in typical angry, entitled, arrogant, spoiled fashion, I would throw up a finger and start walking down Santa Monica Boulevard. I could come home, and my environment did not allow me to damage my body. In fact, no matter how angry I got, at the end of the day, I was still healthier and and, and than the, the person I was the day before. My environment could only create health and wellness. And I thought to myself— what an amazing tool that is and i actually saw the results of it within 3 months my blood sugar dropped from almost 400 to the high 60s low 70s and i was on the highest amount of metformin that they would allow you to take before putting you on insulin and so i stopped taking the medication cuz when you're when your blood sugar's that low when it's in the 60s you don't feel very good you get in these sweats and you get dizzy and so i ditched it and a month later i went to go see my endocrinologist and he takes my blood sugar and it's like 82 And I remember it very, very well, this look on his face when he goes, wow, the medicine's working. But he honestly looked like he didn't even believe that it was possible. And I said, I really don't think that that's what's happening. And he he said, no, no, this is great. We're going to take you down to half of your dosage." I said, I don't even want to do that. He goes, what do you mean? Why don't you want to take less medicine? I said, well, I haven't taken the medicine for a month. And he just looked stunned, and he didn't know how this was possible. And I told him that, well, I had gone plant-based, uh, eating a, a whole food plant-based diet, no added oils, no added sugar. And he actually looked at me and said that that actually makes sense. And at the time, because I was still dealing with a lot of anger issues, I wanted to get very angry at him and make him an enemy and have him, you know, well, why wouldn't you tell me this, you know, when, when we first started? But I'm also going to look at the fact that when he met me, I was a very sick, uh, angry uh, drug addict, and his job was to get my blood sugar down. And maybe he thought it was the safest thing to do would just be to put me on medicine for now and wait until he thought I was maybe emotionally ready to make the change. I don't know. Maybe that's not what his plan was, but um, I always look at it as thankfully I was able to hear a message that Taught me that plant-based nutrition can do for me what medicine can't, and I just said thank you very much. I don't need your services anymore. It's been great, and I left the office and I never went back. And that act, that day, the, the, that 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 uh, what happened in that office completely changed my outlook at how I was going to approach my therapy, because what I had seen was that. I accepted that I I didn't know how to live as a physical person. The way that I was living was killing me, and I didn't know any other way to do it. And what did I do? I just accepted that I have to change the way that I'm living. And luckily, Engine 2, Rip Esselson, they told me what to do, and I just did it. And it wasn't comfortable, and it wasn't easy, but I did it, and my life got better. I'm going to go to therapy and do the same thing. I walked into my therapist's office, and I said, look, i I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I'm so sick of fighting with you. And I'm so sick of being angry and sad and depressed and not. And I don't know why I'm not moving forward my psych, a lot with my emotional recovery. But I'm going to accept that I don't know what I'm doing and just tell me what to do. I probably won't agree with any of it, but just tell me what to do and I'll do it and, what, and we'll see what happens. And as a result, my emotional recovery started to happen. But for me, it wouldn't have started without the physical change first
0: it started with acceptance.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And I think that's such a a brilliant segue into kind of what you do now. Yeah. And working with people to get to that point where they accept what's going on in their lives and that you do I feel like this is a, it's a revolving circle. So you have your mental health. If you're feeding your body correctly, your, your, your body will feed you and your mind. But exactly. if you have a sick body, you're going to have a sick mind, sick mind, sick body. It's just this vicious, vicious cycle.
1: And I go even further than that to say that if your environment is sick, it doesn't matter what you do. Uh, well,
0: because I don't know your environment was sick during your recovery. But no,
1: not mine. There. I lived in a based environment in that sober living
0: <laughs> right, but the yeah. but, but your but you but you created your own internal environment with how exactly. your perception was, mm-hmm. but a lot of people they don't have the insight to do that, and I think that's brilliant that you were able to do that, especially coming out of such a a difficult time in your life. I mean, it shows it speaks volumes to your character.
1: Well, one of the things that happens is that when I realized that in three months, I'd reversed my diabetes, my high blood pressure, my high cholesterol, I saw that through my own acts of acceptance and change that my life got better. And it was all a result of the things that I was doing. And that gave me self worth. And I think that self worth is a powerful uh, tool for making you feel like you're worth saving during like, you know, because life isn't easy. I may be having a great week. And then the next week, you know, all this stuff happens and it, I, I feel terrible. And you got therapists telling you, "Oh, you're making such great progress and you feel worse this week than you did the week before. And you just sort of have to take their word for it. And you don't really want to do that because for me, I need to see, like, I need to see the chart that says why You need and the evidence. I need the evidence so that I can say, all right, this is what I need to do. This, this light keeps going off, but sorry. Um, it's okay. uh, but that's, but that's what happened and so but the, the the point is that i could come home and know that the like i say the environment that i created for myself this plant-based environment is an environment that that my, that my health can thrive in no matter what i'm dealing with emotionally or psychologically and at the end of the day that's going to help me get through these tough times and as a result within 10 months i'd lost 100 pounds and within a year I was off of all eight prescription medications I was put on in rehab, including the antidepressants and the mood stabilizers. Um, That's incredible. And I look at the, the, the track of recovery for everyone else that I was in sober living with, and believe me, they were trying their hardest. These people want to be sober. 90% of these people really were there to try and get sober and to try and recover. Unfortunately, they were in an environment that created disease and they gain weight, uh, they become more depressed, they go on more medication, which has more side effects. And as a result, unfortunately, the recovery that you're able to build in that environment is flawed, in my opinion. It's not wrong, it's just missing something. Because, look, medicine had its purpose for me. When I checked into rehab and they found out, you might have a heart attack tomorrow, they put me on medicine to save my life in the moment. But the fact is that if I didn't make lifestyle changes, I would need that medicine to keep me alive for the rest of my life. Sick. Which means I would spend the rest of my life dying until I was dead. Um,
0: That's exactly true. And, that, and
1: yes. if I just changed my life, changed the way I lived, then the medicines are no longer necessary. So my recovery got to be a, a, a basically a monthly track of seeing medicines go away. Whereas a lot of people go into recovery and are put on more and more and more medications as they go through. And you think it's normal because I know for me, I'd never been in drug rehab before. I'd never been in recovery before. So if I hadn't heard this message from Engine 2 or in the plant-based message that I probably would have thought that going on more medication is just what's supposed to happen. But if anything, it's an indication of more disease in the body. And that's, that's uh, something that I really think can change. By introducing plant-based nutrition as medicine in addiction recovery. Because we if, if you read, and I'm sure you have read How Not to Die. Um, I okay.
0: it right here on my table. So,
1: the study that he, t- that he talks about that he reveals in that book from the seven-day uh, Adventist church, the study of mood states that by reducing the arachidonic acid in the body by these negligent long-chain omega-6 fatty acids, that you can reduce the amount of neural inflammation, the swelling of the brain that causes stress, anxiety, depression. Uh, th- that means that simply by your diet alone, you can improve on depression and anxiety. And these things make it hard to accurate and to effectively approach therapy. If you are already emotionally compromised by your food, Imagine what's going to happen when you walk into therapy and they're trying to tell you everything that's wrong with you. Exactly. <laughs> it,
0: doesn't, it,
1: it just makes it more difficult. Well, then you're going to
0: just go back home and feed that cycle again because you're falling down. You're going to eat more of the foods that you're finding comfort. But nobody tells you, hold up, stop, because that food is actually causing biochemical changes that create even more addiction and sickness.
1: Exactly, yeah. So I, I started uh, – when I checked out of rehab – out of sober living – um, and I, 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 tried to go back cause I was, a, I studied film in school. I tried to go back into the film industry. I got, you know, I, I had an amazing opportunity to work on a really cool film, um, for, and I, I just realized that when I stepped onto set that that's an environment that I, I used a lot of drugs on film sets cause I wanted to be, I wanted to appear better than everyone. Um, So I would be on a lot of Adderall so that I could go at 110% the entire 15-hour day and never slow down. Basically, my purpose for taking the the Adderall was not about being able to do a better job. It was about being able to outdo everyone else, which is like the wrong reason for wanting – one, don't use that much anyways. But um, And it just made me uncomfortable. And I realized that maybe my passion for that was drug-fueled more than actually something that I was truly passionate about. So – I decided that I was going to do something selfless and hopefully learn something about myself, and I spent the next few months living in Nepal in an orphanage, um, working with orphans in poker in Nepal, and I realized, and this is kind of, like, some people think this is like hokey, but I was, like, practicing yoga on the lake in Nepal with a, with a yogi master, and I
0: (laughs) I think that is so amazing. I think it's wonderful.
1: But it was during one of these sessions that I sort of had this, you know, realization that what do I focus on 90 to 95 percent of the day? What is my my mind and my uh, my perception focusing on most of the time? It's the food that I put into my body. What does that do for me? How does that affect my recovery? And how does that allow me to be of better service to other people? And I realized that that's what I want to do for the rest of my life is I want to help people through showing them how the simple change on your fork can be the most profound change of your life. And I also saw how so many people, even though Nepal is an amazing place and you can have an amazing plant-based lifestyle there, uh, a lot of people don't have the option that we are so fortunate to have. We get to choose. It's impossible to starve to death in this country it is literally impossible to starve to death in this country there is we live in a, in, a, in a in a in a country that unless you are purposely starving yourself to death you can go become obese if you want to um and yet we also have the opportunity to be as healthy as we want and we so frequently uh, take that opportunity and it's such a it, it's such a disservice but
0: i don't know if we do because when we're raising our children and we're feeding them these foods. We're creating these food acts. So I don't even know that they ever actually get their free will of choice, of knowing right. a healthy lifestyle because they never get away from the addiction to think, oh, this is what it's like to feel normal and clear and healthy. Yeah. Right.
1: We, as a society, we're to- we're told. But what I'm saying is that if if you do get the message, the message is out there that you have the opportunity to be as healthy as you want. Definitely. And um, and I said that what is my unique experience with this? It for me is it not only kept me sober, but it allowed me to become a person I never believed possible, and that that I think that that is something that's missing in recovery, that abstinence just creates fear of living, um, and that the abstinence thing works in the beginning because it keeps you accountable. You go to your AA meeting, where I guarantee you, if you go to an AA meeting tonight, there's coffee, donuts, and cigarettes. Um, Um, but at the end of the day, if your recovery program isn't about becoming something and living a lifestyle that's so far removed from your previous lifestyle to where your daily actions are about creating positive change, then your recovery isn't complete. In my opinion, some people may may find that uh, offensive and I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just trying to say that we know that the, the standard recovery method is broken it has a very high relapse rate, and I, I just think that that is something that is that, that we should look at and accept that we, we, we're missing something.
0: What would you do to fix that broken system then since you've been through it?
1: Well, I don't think that my program completely fixes anything. Obviously, I don't think that there's a cure-all, but for me, I would love to have a sober living facility that is 100% plant-based, that I could guarantee a person when they check in Say someone comes to the door and says, I want to live here. What's this going to do for me? I could say, well, look, if you live in this house and you live by the rules, not only will you leave this house sober, but I guarantee you when you leave, you're healthier than when you got here. That that would be a guarantee that no other treatment facility or sober living facility could make unless they themselves were also plant-based. And that, that means that we've created somebody new. When you leave, you are not the person you were physically or emotionally when you leave.
0: Or spiritually, because yeah. you your reflection within you know it just it changes everything. That's absolutely oh, right.
1: Absolutely, uh, everything about the way that I, I move through the world is different. My certainties about the world. Uh, I used to get angry very easily at religion because for me it was an easy target because I'm very scientific minded. I need proof. I need evidence. And now you know I, I'm still not a religious person, but it doesn't bother me. I don't care. If if people are super religious, let them be. It doesn't harm me at all, you know. And I used to just be this person that thought he knew everything. And as a result, it kept me at a distance from people. Uh, And my entire world was – it was about this big. It was very small. And I lived in a dirty hoarder-like apartment surrounded by drugs where I basically ended up almost dying one night. And now my lifestyle is – my life is so much bigger than I ever imagined. And I'm, and it's about connecting to people and getting closer to other people and being vulnerable. And, and it's something that I never imagined possible. And and one of the things I believe about addiction is I don't see addiction as a bad thing. When I was a drug addict, look, I was very good. I was, I'm a very, very talented addict. All right. When I was a drug addict, I was so good at it that I was never more productive as when I needed my drug I knew who to cheat. I knew who to rob from. I knew who to steal from. I knew, you know, who to scam. If, if, it didn't matter if, if they were a person that I would have at the same day, if necessary, given my life to, tr- to protect them. That didn't matter because in that moment, what I needed most was my drug. So family member or not, I was going to get what I needed. All I did was I switched my addiction from destructive addiction to a constructive addiction. If, if you believe that I'm any less addicted to this lifestyle than I was addicted to my destructive lifestyle, you'd be fooling yourself. Um, the difference is that this addiction opens me up to the world where the other one had broken me closed.
0: I, I strongly believe that because I've seen you know, people such as Rich Roll or um, David Clark. They go from one oh, extreme. I'm, so, I'm
1: glad you know about David Clark. Yes. He's such a great guy.
0: From one extreme to a whole nother, but in, a, in an amazing way. Um, but it, it is, I just, I just see it. It's just, it's, it's a change of focus. Boom. You know, you found something else. It's really interesting to see that, but I agree a hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Um, David is, uh, I, I got the, the honor to get to know him, uh, on the icebreaker run. And, uh,
0: can you explain what the icebreaker run is? That's pretty so cool.
1: The icebreaker run was this run that was conceived by this amazing guy named Charlie Engel, who, there's a documentary on Netflix called Running the Sahara. I recommend you watch it. It's narrated by Matt Damon. But essentially, uh, Charlie and two other people decided we're going to run across the entire Sahara Desert, all 4,000 miles. But as a result of doing that, they ended up creating programs that brought water to a lot of you know uh, starving and, 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 and underserved people. Um, and he himself is an addict in recovery. Um, he ended up in jail uh, he was a crack addict. Uh, the guy had, you know, gotten as low as you could get. And, um, he, you know, he decided that running was going to be his recovery and, uh, on top of a lot of other things, you know, he got sober, but he became an ultra runner and he's an amazing ultra runner. But what he wanted to do was he wanted to break the stigma around addiction, uh, and open up a conversation about mental illness and bridge the gap between mental illness and mental health. And so he said, let's run across the entire country from Washington, from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C., and let's do this with other people who are not only passionate runners, but also themselves struggling from some form of mental illness, whether it be addiction, depression, suicidality, self-harm, some form of mental illness. So he put together this incredible group of people. You had Charlie Ingle. You had David Clark. You had Katra Corbett. You had Chris Martin. You had Sophia Kasherba. Um, you had, uh, Pam Rickard, uh, I mean, just this unbelievable team. And luckily I got to be an alternate on it, which is unbelievable. Uh, and cause it was so funny because, uh, David Clark has, I mean, uh, um, Charlie Engel has been on the Rich Roll podcast and I got the uh, opportunity to be on the Rich Roll podcast. And I get this phone call one morning and it was like 4am my time. Okay. Cause Charlie lives in, in North Carolina and I live in Santa Monica And I answered the phone. I was like, hello. And he goes, hey, this is Charlie Engel. And I wanted to hang up because I didn't believe it at first. I was like, yeah, all right. And and he goes, hey, no, listen, I want to talk to you about this icebreaker thing that I'm planning. Uh, I'm going to be out in Santa Monica doing another uh, episode on the Rich Roll Podcast. Can we meet? And I said, what what are you talking about? What's this icebreaker run? He goes, well, we're going to be doing a run. It's going to be in L.A., we really want you to come out. Uh, it's for mental illness. Will you will you do it with us? And I said, Well, how? F-? And I, now remember, I hadn't even done a marathon at this point. And he goes, How far is it? I said, How far is it? He goes, It's to to Washington D.C. And I like I'm, again, I wanted to hang up on the phone, like dude, like, I'm I'm nowhere near the the level of elite athlete that these guys are. But he goes, Look, we just want you involved. Uh, you know, feel free to run as much as possible. I had a prior commitment already. I had to be in, uh, Sedona, Arizona for the engine Two immersion. Cause I've become a speaker for engine two, but I got to join them from in Texas and, and be on the run from Texas to Washington, DC. And I got the pleasure of really getting to know this guy, David Clark, who is maybe has more wisdom and self insight than anyone I've ever met. Um, this guy weighed 320 pounds. He was an alcoholic. Um, he was very close to losing his life. Um, and he became plant-based and he became a runner and now he's run all, you know, he's one of the best ultra runners in the world. Um, and actually my brother and him are making a documentary right now about the idea of positive addiction, which is really great. Um, and, uh, yeah, so guys, if, if he has a book out called, um, uh, out there story of ultra recovery, read this book. He's an amazing. And get Charlie's book, Running Man. It's great too. The story of him running in the Sahara. But I've got to do these amazing things, like the Icebreaker Run. Be a speaker for Engine Two. Uh, speak at, at Plant Stock. I'm speaking at Health Fest in Marshall. Um, but I think the most profound thing is, you know, people like to to people like to hear me talk about the things I've lost. 160 pounds that I've lost as of today. the the medications I've been gotten off of the diseases I've gotten rid of. But the most profound thing is what you gain as a result of, uh, going through recovery. And like I said, my relationship with my father and my mother and my brother and sister was really strained. And now when I come back to Austin, uh, I go on the run, I go on a run with my dad every morning, uh, around Lake Austin. And he's, you know, he's not just my dad. He's my best friend, you know, he's my mentor, and I also get to work with him at the same Whole Food store where where he works. And you know, the, my first week here in Austin, you know, we drove into work together every day, and and it's really and as great as it feels for me, I I, I love this more for him because here's a guy who I treated so poorly, and he just he just he took it, and he realized that. That this is just, you know, this is a sick person. My son is sick and I can't, you know, I need to just take this from him. And when he's finally ready, I can be of service to him and I can save, help save his life. And he deserves to have the son that he, that, that I think he's always wanted to have. And that's what I love so much about what this recovery has given me is I now get to be that for him. And um, he just
0: loved you because that's what parents do. And uh, I find it really interesting if you look at the circle of events, your dad helped fund Whole Foods in the beginning, yeah. which led to the Engine 2 immersion that you did before you discovered you wanted to be helped. And then this is like a full circle for you because tell us now what you do currently.
1: So I work as a health coach for Whole Food Market or Whole Foods Market's um, uh, medical and wellness clinic in Austin, Texas. They have one in Glendale. It's run by Matt Letterman and Alona Polday. If you've seen Forks Over Knives, you know who these people are. If you've read their books, uh, they're amazing plant-based doctors. Um, and what we do is we're a clinic that uses the the approach of uh, plant-based. Uh, nutrition as medicine. And we also have physicians that prescribe medication for people who aren't really ready to adopt the plant-based lifestyle. We also have health coaches like myself who, when people are suffering from disease, you can meet with one of us and we can help you implement change into your life in order to never be dependent on medicine. Um, We also have behavioral health specialists for people who want to go in for psychological issues or emotional issues. We have acupuncturists. So we have alternative medicine uh, available and I think it's really amazing because all of this is at no cost to the employees. It's just part of the health plan that whole foods market offers. Uh, and if you need to see a specialist, we're connected within the network in Austin, the Seton network. So if you have a heart specialist, you can see your heart specialist. If you need to see an, you know, uh, an, an ophthalmologist, you can go see your ophthalmologist. Um, it, you know, I think what whole foods market is doing is really revolutionary because we're saying, hey, we're going to give you health insurance, but, we're also going to offer you the tools and the knowledge to never be dependent upon it, through not just the medical center, but the four immersions that they send a hundred employees to each every year. So Furman being one of them, uh, McDougal, Engine Two, and Stoll, they send a hundred employees to this to each one of those every year, and they've been doing this now for ten years, where people learn to adopt the plant based lifestyle in order to reverse disease and get the quality of life that they deserve. Um, and not only that. They learn a lot of the psychological stuff because I know at Engine Two, Doug Lyle is there, like three days doing his presentations, and that guy is like, his book "The Pleasure Trap." That's like my Bible. I mean, that, that, that's what did it for me.
0: It was visualization of his book that made you be able to walk away from all that.
1: It really was. I, I you know, I described my recovery in three parts. Uh, one was before and after the uh, the Engine Two book. Um, and then there's before and after reading the pleasure trap engine two gave me the tools and then, uh, Doug Lyle's, of pleasure trap told me exactly how to do it. So, you know, it taught me that it, there's one thing I got to do. It's just be comfortable being uncomfortable on a daily basis. And, you know, it sounds easy to say, and it is easy to say, but it's not easy to do, uh, especially for someone who was so far, uh, gone as I was. Um, but that's it. That's really what it is. Um, it's just be comfortable being uncomfortable.
0: That that's ex- exactly true with anything in life. You just take those chances and opportunities that are given you and you go with it. And I, I love that The be comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's amazing. Which, you know, I wanted to get a little bit into your thoughts of how we turn conventional medicine upside down. So, yeah. you know, right now it's based off, medications or then you hit the therapy or other support, but, you know, but now we start with nutrition and then, you know, if we need to have other therapies, medications up like that,
1: that's exactly how I feel
0: that. So that's what you're doing with the whole foods uh, construct, which is amazing.
1: Here's my opinion. And like I said before, uh, if the environment is sick, then it doesn't matter how much medication you put into the person living in that environment. They're always going to be sick. And you are a product of your environment. If you live in a plant-based environment, you are going to be a healthy person. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't gain weight on a plant-based diet. Of course you can. If you want to, you know, eat 5,000 calories a day, be my guest. You can, but it's not going to create the heart disease, the cancer, uh, you know, uh, it's not going to add to your inflammation. It's not not going to destroy your bone density. It's not going to do all these things that we know happen as a result of eating the high acid, uh, IGF-1-laden foods, the estrogen, you know, dairy foods that have literally are a low-grade opiate, you know, uh, because yeah. we know that the casein that makes up the protein and dairy, when you ingest it and it's, digested, it's converted to casomorphine, which is a low-grade opiate. But there's purpose for it. In nature, uh, an infant won't nurse unless it wants to. And this is the mother's way of ensuring that its uh, it's infant is a healthy nurser. And then animals that are born with the ability to walk, this keeps them close to their moms. They won't stray away from her because they're addicted to her. There's a reason for it. But they're cut off. And in nature, we would be too. But we've created an environment A modern environment that allows us to continue eating this dairy, this this casein, these casomorphines for as long as we want, and that's the problem.
0: Absolutely, that's actually one of the things I reiterate to patients: is there's a reason those babies love their mama, and uh, just like you want your your human baby to love you and breastfeed and you know flourish and flourish, I, you know, what we're doing at Dr. Furman's Health Oasis is, is we're doing the exact same thing. Now we're taking the nutrition, we're putting them in an environment. It's like a safe house. Yeah. Sorta. Of. <laughs> but they're <laughs> 24/7 there's someone with them we when they arrive we take control of their environment and we feed them their foods on a time schedule. But the really cool thing is besides what I get to do teaching and the cooking for them and we go on grocery store tours which is what I get to do, but we have the clinical therapist who help them, you know, process what's going on in their heads and we yeah. all eat this way. So it's an incredible learning opportunity and for physicians who haven't had the opportunity to be in that environment of this clinical psychology stuff is just so wow, it's a crazy I, I love the fact that I'm nourishing the body and the cells and the micronutrients, and all that, but for them to work through the mental part is so amazing to me.
1: What's amazing is that when you look at when you actually look at the pleasure trap that chart that Doug Lyle uses, what you're looking at is a dopamine response a problem of dopamine response. So you can easily apply that chart to not only food addiction, but substance abuse of illicit drugs because it is simply the body's response to dopamine. That is why when you're a drug addict and you know what you're doing is killing you, you are so compelled to continue using it because your body, the genes that make up everything – Believe that when you get that big of a dopamine response, you have found something in your environment that is going to keep you alive and allow you to be biologically successful. Your body does not recognize that this substance is a chemically created addictive substance that is going to create disease in the body and kill you. Because it doesn't believe that those things exist in nature. It doesn't. It hasn't learned that yet.
0: <laughs> well, but we don't eat – we're not in an environment of real food where I call them Franken foods because honestly there's those hyper – palatable foods that have hijacked our taste buds and hijacked our dopamine response. Exactly. Actually, just Thursday, I did this exact uh, lecture for my patients there, and they were all just like having these aha moments. of like, wow, I really can't even consume those once, you know? No,
1: and that's the great thing is that you're, by helping them to understand that, they then realize that the reason that they love these foods and can't stop eating them is not because there's anything wrong with them. It's because their body is operating exactly how it should to those foods. Right. That this is biology. That there's nothing. You're not broken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And th- that when they realize that they're not broken, and that simply what has occurred is, is just the natural order of things. If you look, put yourself in that environment, then they realize that just simply by being themselves, if they change their environment their body will get back to where it's supposed to, and their brain chemistry will operate as it should. You just have to get to that point.
0: And the nice thing is we're ge- allowing that brain chemistry to heal itself on a cellular level, but then the clinical component allows them to hear spiritually and yeah. the other mental part, which is, for me, it's just so fun to watch because I just feel that it's a neglected component in medicine right now.
1: It is. Absolutely. Yes.
0: Wow. So tell me, what type of changes have you seen in your folks that come through your patients? Do you have a large conversion? We well,
1: I've been working there for three weeks, so
0: three weeks! Congratulations.
1: (laughs) So um, I haven't had the opportunity to really see any patients yet. I'm still training with the other amazing health coaches, but I can tell you that I've had uh, when I was working as a private recovery coach and plant-based nutritionist in Santa Monica. Uh, The last two years, that's what I was doing. And I was working for a treatment center called the Canyon at Santa Monica, which is the same IOP that I went to as a, you know, addicted, angry person. Um, And then it was amazing when I got to go back as a facilitator and and not have to sign in as a patient. (laughs) But I had a few patients that after, because they can't see me privately while they're there, it's a conflict of interest. But afterwards, I also continued to give lectures at sober livings. And I had a few patients that said that they want to do this and one of them this guy and i'm not going to say his name of course but uh you know we had a lot in common he comes from a fortunate situation he was able to get everything he ever wanted and uh you know he never had to want for a lot of things uh he he had a strained relationship with his dad he was you know he wasn't like super overweight but he was you know 50 pounds you know overweight um and he also you know had this desire to to really want to change himself entirely and he had read rich rolls book and when i told him when he found out that i was on his podcast then he said like i want to do what you did and i said let's do it and while living in sober living and in the same sober living house that i lived in he implemented a plant-based lifestyle and within six months he had not only lost 60 pounds all the all the weight but he completed a triathlon with his dad So, you know, it just, and, you know, it makes me like his, his recovery is so special to me because three years after, uh, my parents walked me into rehab, uh, three years after my, my mom and dad walked me in at, you know, 320 pounds with disease and addiction and just depressed, uh, I was able to run the Austin 10 K with my dad and my mom, uh, was there taking pictures. So I had this photo of my dad walking me into rehab. And then I've i created sort of the top of the photo is my dad walking me into rehab and the bottom of the photo is him and I running the Austin ten K. And really, you know, it, it sort of symbolizes my entire recovery that my parents really did have my back from day one to, you know, to the end, from the beginning to the end. And you know, I sort of saw that take place with this young man that I was getting to help. And it was an amazing, it was an amazing thing.
0: That's incredible. And, and what is he doing? Now? Was that recent or was, what's he doing now?
1: So that was probably uh, about a year ago that that happened. So he's still sober. He's, you know, he went back to school um, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's doing well. Um, I haven't talked to him in a, in a bit, but we, I drop him a line and uh, and I see how he's doing every now and then. So
0: So do you still run?
1: I do, yeah, and I'm going to be – in fact, I'm glad you mentioned this. Um, so you probably heard the name Tim Kaufman. You probably heard the name Josh Lajani. Oh, you're uh-huh.
0: going – I know where you're going.
1: Uh, we are running Leadville.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> – yep.
0: Not far from my old stomping grounds in Colorado.
1: Yeah, so it's going to be amazing. Uh, Tim is someone who I've gotten to know pretty well. Um and uh, he's going to be speaking at Plant Stock this year, which is amazing. And I'm super excited because this guy is just has a fabulous recovery story himself. And then Josh is, you know, I'm sure you've seen him on the cover of Runner's World.
0: Yeah, I um, actually interviewed Josh and his mom, and then oh. actually Tim and Heather.
1: So awesome. <laughs> um, and Josh went from 400 pounds to you know, the cover of Runner's World. Absolutely. And uh, and I can't wait. You know, aside from that, we've also become, you know, friends and I can't wait to run this, uh, the Leadville marathon with them, which will be amazing. And, and then, uh, to speak as last year I spoke on stage at plant stock and Tim was there now to speak on stage at plant stock and then have Tim speak on stage at plant stock is just going to be fantastic. So,
0: and he's so personable. I think an audience will really respond to him.
1: He's got no ego. He's, he's just simply himself and he's vulnerable and he's not doing it for any kind of accolade. He's doing it to like, he, he really wants to help people. And that's what I like so much about him. He's not in it for any kind of like, you know, stardom, whatever there would be in this movement. But, um, <laughs> yeah.
0: It's, yeah, let's just fight the entire culture of America. Yeah. Sure.
1: <laughs> exactly. But, uh, he's, he's become quite a, an amazing ambassador for the movement. And, uh, I know that he got to do a Facebook Live uh, session for the Engine 2 7-Day Rescue Challenge, which started this year. Um, so if you don't mind, I'm going to plug the book. Do it. Do it. So Rip Esselstyn released his new book called the Engine 2 7-Day Rescue Challenge. And what it is is that when he first created the Engine 2 program, the diet, what he thought would re- would initially take 28 days to achieve, the results he thought would take 28 days to achieve, after 10 years of doing the 7-Day immersions, we realized that it only takes 7 days. So it is a way to help people start off, get through that first week. It's a, it's a little more strict than the Engine 2 diet, the seven-day rescue, is because we're. it's really geared around the same way that we approach the immersion, which is really about reversing disease. So there's it's very low fat, um, no nuts, no seeds, things like that. But the results are really amazing. I mean, we're talking about losing, you know, uh, in terms of blood pressure uh, – Dropping ten over five, your systolic ten, your diastolic five um, you're you're losing twenty five uh, milligrams of cholesterol, so your total cholesterol dropping twenty five your blood sugar dropping like twenty I mean this is in seven days, and then the average weight loss of uh, you know I think it's like three to five, but I mean, we have had results of people who've did it for two weeks and their triglycerides dropping two hundred points and people losing uh i'm coaching a guy right now who's doing it and he just called me saying that he lost eight pounds in three days and uh you know people's blood pressure just becoming normal within a matter of days and the thing is that these these results aren't amazing they're typical
0: exactly (laughs) these results are typical
1: (laughs) uh
0: god forbid the fda would not allow us to say that however
1: I know, right? It's unfortunate. But uh so his book is out there. I know he's on on a book tour right now. So if you go to engine 2 dietcom you can check his schedule for his book tour and go and meet him at one of the at a whole food store across the country and talk to Rip and he's he's
0: You he's introduce a great... me to Rip and I'll introduce you to Doctor Furbin.
1: Do it. <laughs> Let's do it.
0: it. For sure. <laughs> that would be fantastic.
1: Let's so
0: do it. I, I'm curious, Adam, you're an amazing young man. Um Would you go back and change this? Would you go through what you've been through, seeing where you are now, and avoid all the pain if you could have just lived a life without addiction in the beginning?
1: Well, I mean, I mean, if only if I would have found plant based nutrition, because I mean, I would have ended up in, you know, with some sort of standard American disease, anyways. And the thing is, like, I mean, that, that, that question, yeah, I mean, what, what I'm talking about, what you're talking about is regret. Do I regret what I went through? And
0: No, I, I don't think necessarily regret. I think a path of least resistance. I mean, yeah. if like you would have had the, the advantage, because, I mean, you can see your, your life pattern. You're, you're, you went through all this for a reason because now you're changing lives. Right. But I'm curious in your own sense of that pain, would you have avoided the pain to, to live a different life maybe, but not have had that effect now that you have
1: another. I'm, yeah, I'm really happy with who I am and where I am right now. Um That's awesome. And apparently, like you said, I, I needed to go through it um, because it really, you know, it helped me find out who I really am as a person. And, um, and so, you know, there 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 are days when I resent uh, myself for allowing me to lose my 20s to addiction and obesity and depression. Um, but I look at myself now, I'm 34 years old, and I guarantee you I'm younger than I would have been had I, you know, not had to go through what I went through. I'm younger now than I was when I was 24. Oh, so,
0: I, I understand. I in. I'll be 47 this year, and I, I tell you, I feel amazing compared to my probably early thirties, late
1: twenties. It's amazing. You know, I mean, look, look, uh, one of the things I've learned in recovery is that, you know, you don't want to, you you don't past trip and you don't future trip, you know, uh, I can't change the past and I'm thankful for what, for having it happen to me and allow me to become the person I am today. I can't worry about what happens tomorrow, but what I can worry about is my next step. And that's one of the things I tell people when they're getting discouraged about, you know, they talk about one day at a time in recovery, you know, um, that don't worry about being sober for the rest of your life. Just worry about being sober today. Um, and I take to heart in terms of when I coach people on plant based eating, I'm not asking you to be plant based for the rest of your life, just for your next meal and then the next one and then the next one. It's like. It's like if you're if – you, if you've ever been on a hike and you know you're going to go hike up a, up a mountain and you look at it from the bottom of, uh, of it and it's just like, I don't want to do that. Look how tall it is, right? But if you just put your head down and take the next necessary step, eventually when you look up, you're looking out from the summit. Yeah, I mean that's right. the way it works. The that's only cool. thing you have to worry about is your next necessary meal. That's it.
0: Right. Absolutely. Oh. And that that may be you in Leadville. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's going to be, because I am going to be hurting.
0: <laughs> I, I have climbed 14ers, and let me tell you, you do. There are days you're just like, you're halfway up, you're like, I can't even look up. You just, no. you think that, one more step, one more step.
1: You know, I remember, because living in Nepal, is was living at 8,000 feet. And, uh, you know, when I first got there, I was already a runner then, and I wanted to continue running. And running that first week in Nepal, oh my gosh, I was hurting so bad. It was so funny, because I had made friends with this girl uh who's this amazing woman. I mean she like she graduated college at eighteen. She's a stem cell student um and she's she's also a professional athlete. She's a swimmer. She went to the 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 Olympic trials. And here I am like alright. She's also really cute. And I'm gonna impress her and say, let's go on a run, right? Not knowing she was a professional athlete. All right. Like week two of being there and I am like dying on this run and she's like, what's wrong? Come on. And I'm like, Oh my God, what a mistake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I don't even know what to say.
1: <laughs> but uh, it was just, it was funny. Cause That's she's a, uh, uh, she, yeah, she, I, I learned a lot of things just from watching how she approaches life.
0: Yeah. So. There, there's some amazing experiences. I was in Uganda earlier last year and, a mission trip and that's pretty cool. But we went from I was uh, when I was active duty Air Force, we went I was stationed in Virginia at sea level and then we went to Ecuador to the Andes. <laughs> and I was like I understand what they mean by altitude sickness. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's pretty bad. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh hopefully hopefully I'll be I'll, I'll stay with David uh in Leadville um before the race. Nice, and uh, and then for like a week because the race is the day before my birthday.
0: Oh, well, happy uh, birthday in June, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. So um, you know, I'll I'll take off for my birthday and just spend the week in Leadville. So. You know,
0: I am so close to just if we if my fo- if my husband and my kiddos haven't moved here by then, just going in June so I can mm-hmm. meet all of you guys in person. You
1: should come. You should. It's going to be me, Tim, Josh, David Clark's going to be there. I mean, it's just going to be—it's going to be awesome.
0: This is highly tempting. <laughs> Go home and see my family. Well, see your family. I'm off to Leadville.
1: <laughs> yeah, do it. I've never been to Leadville, so I can't wait. My brother went with uh, was just recently there when David attempted to do Leadville 100 back to back.
0: Oh my goodness!
1: So he wanted to be the first person to do the Leadville 200. Did he do it? Well, he had a friend who suffered uh a life threatening, uh, condition in, in Boulder and left like after mile, like 130 or something like that. Oh, wow. But he, he, he realized like, what's the point of my doing this? Like, you know, I, I don't need to prove something to myself when my friend is, you know, dying. So.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, my daughter lives in Boulder. My, my family's not far from Leadville. It's like mm, two and a half, three hour drive. So. Yeah. yeah. Nice all right very good well you know i know i've taken a lot of your time we had a little disconnection we'll edit that out but i am um, i tell you this was an amazing conversation and i really want to thank you
1: i appreciate it uh i i i i i loved being on the show and i'm such a fan of you know what you and dr verman do and hearing about the clinic that you're involved with now like i'm so jealous
0: <laughs> you don't know how hard i
1: tried to create that Angeles.:
0: <laughs> You should come see us.: you gotta come I would visit. love to.
1: I would love to do that. Absolutely. because I mean, if the people need to make the connection that food is the biggest impact from the environment that we, that we have on a daily basis, because mm-hmm. it is the part of the environment that we're saying we're going to put into our bodies to keep us alive.
0: Exactly. I, we, we could love to have you, you could come and speak to our folks. I would think that would be oh, fabulous.
1: Yes. I would love to do that. So, so
0: Adam, anytime you want to come, honestly, you are welcome. I have a sleeper sofa.
1: Great. That's <laughs> all. I, that and sweet potatoes. As long as you've got that, I'm fine.
0: I have a whole bowl full of sweet potatoes. My boys come to see me. I have to have sweet potatoes. <laughs> I
1: do. Sweet potatoes, oatmeal, and cinnamon. As long as you've got those three things, I'm set.
0: We're, I, I totally if, right that with you.
1: And of Andrew Taylor, refusing <laughs> to prove how great potatoes are.
0: I, uh, you know, it's hilarious. I have there's a 16 hour time difference. We're like messaging, trying to figure out when we're gonna set him up. He's
1: Australia, right?
0: Yes. So it's like I put a message in. I have to wait till the next day.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm such a fan of that guy because I, I like. If there's one thing I, I really believe, there's one food that you could eat for the rest of your life and be 100 percent healthy. Is a sweet potato. Oh. Like if, if you had to only eat one food for the rest of your life, choose the one that you could be the most healthy on and have it be calorie dense enough to not have to eat 15 pounds of it.
0: Right. Right.
1: It would be a sweet potato. Sweet
0: potatoes are a fabulous food.
1: Unbelievable. And it tastes <laughs> good. And there's so many of them.
0: <laughs> if you had told me five years ago, I'd be sitting here having this conversation, inhaling the greatness of a sweet potato. <laughs> I would just, have said, you're freaking crazy. I'm,
1: Ate them. I remember. I remember. It, it wasn't that long ago when I ate one on accident and like almost like and started gagging from the taste. But now, don't even get in between me and my sweet potatoes. <laughs> you are barking up the wrong tree if you're trying to stop me from getting my sweet potato.
0: The only time you show <laughs> anger now is getting That's me away. That's right. Angry. <laughs> That's wonderful. Oh my goodness. Well, what would you say? I always like to ask people one last tidbit of advice for those who are considering or contemplating, contemplating, let me spit out my words, changing their lifestyle to eat this way. What would you say?
1: Do it. I mean, uh, I would say simply like what, what I, what I like to say is that it's amazing how the simple change on your fork can really be the most profound change of your life. Give yourself the opportunity. I know that Rip's book, the seven-day rescue is showing what you can do in seven days, and that's great. But give yourself a month. Do it for 28 days. Come on, really? 28 days. In the grand scheme of things, it's not that long. Right. Give yourself the opportunity to create that gut my- microbiome, that gut flora that actually allows you to crave these foods. Because mm-hmm. We know it takes that long to actually develop at least that amount of time to develop the microbiome in your stomach that actually changes your taste buds. And we also know that you're going to, when you change the microbiome, that the microbiome is essentially what is responsible for your levels of dopamine and serotonin, that 90% of dopamine and and over 50% of your serotonin is created in the gut. It has an intestinal source. So give yourself the opportunity to see how what you eat literally changes the way you think, feel, and are rewarded by your brain. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing thing. Give yourself the opportunity to experience all the benefits of a plant-based diet. Not just weight loss. This isn't about weight loss. It's about health. Oh, yeah. It's the weight that you either need to lose or need to gain is just an added side effect.
0: Exactly. That's, it's a nice side effect, but it's, it's yeah. not the, the whole picture. And people always say when they change their diet like this, they're like, I can't believe I was living in a state of blah. And now yeah. I'm like, now I'm living. This is what it was really like? Yeah.
1: It's, it's amazing. that You feel like you come out of this fog. Exactly. And... And the other thing is, you know, I mean, I had I, I was put on medication for ADHD. I still have ADHD, but I'm I'm very much more uh, uh able to control it uh through also through practices of mindfulness meditation um but I don't want to be medicated anymore and th- this diet allows me to live that lifestyle, live the authentic self. Um and so, yeah, I would do, I would say give yourself give yourself a chance to experience this. It's amazing. Uh the beginning is not going to be easy just like with any lifestyle change. But people always say, you know, and I don't think I could ever live that way. Well, of course you don't. You've never done it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, I was never pregnant before and had a baby and you do it. And then, you know, it's the same thing. It's, it's an amazing, you have to go through some pain to have the most amazing blessings in your life. And so I think, and I, uh, I thank you again. And I always like to acknowledge people. I try to remember. I think I forget on a few podcasts. I've only put out a few podcasts. Like, I think you're going to be number 20 and uh, maybe 21. (laughs) Um, but I just want to acknowledge you, Adam, and say thank you for all the lives that you're have changed and will be changing. And I think it's a fabulous thing you're doing and you're very personable and you're wise beyond your years. Um, and I think that's fascinating and your, your family's blessed to have you in their lives. So I
1: appreciate that.
0: Not a problem. But uh, thank you again for your time and uh, we'll say goodbye to Adam and I, you guys make sure and follow him wherever he is going to be speaking and hopefully I'll come down to Boca and then I can go meet Rip.
1: Was, like, a big, yeah.